This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. Consider becoming a Drama Victoria member today to take advantage of all the member benefits. We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. We record on the land of the Bunurong people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are very lucky to be joined by Dr. Rachel Jacobs. Dr. Rachel Jacobs is a lecturer in drama education at Western Sydney University and a former high school drama teacher. She has been on the board of Drama Australia and is a drama researcher. She is a community artist working with migrant and refugee communities and she runs her own intercultural dance school. Rachel is a writer and has been an occasional columnist in The Guardian, The Sydney Morning Herald and The Conversation. She also appeared on Q&A and The Drum. She was a founding member of Teachers for Refugees and is a board member of various arts organisations. Dr Rachel Jacobs is the Greens candidate for the seat of Grandler in New South Wales. It is so very rare to get the wonderful opportunity to interview someone who is so knowledgeable and passionate about politics, drama and education. Dr. Rachel Jacobs and I sat down and talked about the 2022 budget that was recently announced. As a somewhat political novice, I had some questions about the budget, and I knew that it was affecting education and arts, and that Dr. Rachel Jacobs would be the perfect person to speak to as a former high school drama teacher and, of course, a drama researcher who is also passionate about politics. Without any further ado, I bring you a conversation with the inspiring Dr. Rachel Jacobs. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel Jacobs. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm here on Gadigal land in the Eora Nation where sovereignty was never ceded. I'm so happy to be on the aside because I'm a long-time listener, first-time guest. Well, incredibly exciting to be delving into this world of politics. And I, I need to say right off the bat, it's really not an area of expertise for me at all. Um, and uh, with the, the new budget that's come out, I'm really keen to talk to someone deeply in the know on this subject. And I'm so keen and excited to have you here. So thank you so much. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, so the budget was released this week. Mm-hmm. Briefly, even for someone like me, what is it? What is the budget? And what does it tell us? Do you know that's a really good question that I never actually get asked? So it's a statement of income and the government does one every year. And it firstly tells us what kind of income they're planning to collect over the next 12 months. The taxes that you and I pay, the taxes that businesses do or don't pay royalties from things like mining and things like that but most importantly what they plan to spend it on and so there's always a bunch of things that the government's responsible for things like defense there's some things that are split between federal and state government like transport or education but most of all it sets out the priorities for the spending for the next year what does the government want to fund what don't they want to fund what do they want to cut what do they want to increase spending to but in this case of this budget we've got an election coming up in as little as you know as six weeks and so a budget can be used to bribe people uh bribe people with spending and say here's our list of priorities and we think you really like it so it's kind of a campaign tool in this case as well about what is prioritized the thing is that in in my opinion the government's done pretty badly at bribing people 
um, it hasn't really come off for them very well. But they've also done an really abhorrent job in setting out what the priorities are, um, you know, for the for the next year. That's really interesting to know. And I just ask quickly: if they've put out the budget, are they held to the budget? Are they if they've put this budget out, must they do what they? Is this a promise? Is this a pinky promise? What is this? <laughs> it's a pinky promise, pinky swear. So this their budget does depend on them getting elected. So they're setting out a list of priorities, which is why this is a bit of a campaign tool, which is why you'll notice there was so much spending on so many different areas that it was kind of um, everybody having a bit of a cash grab and a tax cut and things like that, because they're saying to people, re-elect us so that you can have this budget, you can have all of these these spending priorities. So look, if they don't get elected, no, um, that will not be the list of priorities that goes through. Okay. And so there's two big things I noticed or the things that I was, I was made to notice through the wonderful social media uh, or things that were pointed out to me uh, by friends and colleagues and and people that are really deeply interested in politics. I'm somewhat interested in politics, but the the people that I trust tell me number one cuts to public schools and two cuts to the arts, which cuts us very deeply. Are these real cuts? Are these just not giving extra money? Are they keeping up with inflation cuts or, or are these just legitimate cuts to two things we hold near and dear. Uh, Nick, my good news for you is the people that you trust uh, are absolutely correct. So they're trustworthy people. So you're you're hanging out with the right crowd because, and my, but my bad news is that that's absolutely correct. Deep cuts to the arts and to public education. Um, and which one do you want me to start with? Because uh, they are pretty brutal. We're not just talking about inflation kind of stuff. Um, we are talking about the loss of services, the loss of income to both of those sectors. And both of those sectors, which we we know are not flush, flush with cash. So which one do you want me to start with, the arts or education? Yeah, let's start, start with either. And maybe I should give a tiny bit of context about what I mean okay. by not keeping up with inflation. Um, because sometimes people say cuts, but really it's because it didn't quite keep up with inflation. Or people say cuts because, I don't know, it, it, they didn't maintain a promise. But these are actual cuts. These aren't, these aren't you know... There's a legitimate concerns that we have. So I think we should start with, with, with the public school system. Yeah, let's let's start with the public school system because that's a massive cut of $559 million. And uh, it, if it sounds like a lot of money, it is. And a lot of people are like, but in context, I don't know how much the budget is and things like that. So that that's a really big slice. But also when you put it side by side, with private schools, by the way, that was cut to public education, private schools received an extra 2.6 billion. Then you're really looking at that in context of one sector getting a mass of injection of funding and the other, um, the other sector being systematically starved of funding. So that's exactly what's happened as a result of this, um, this last budget. And so what we're gonna see in public schools is that every dollar has to stretch further, that they're going to, our public schools are going to look to the states to try and fill in that gap. Um, as we know, the states have a lot of competing priorities. So just last week here in New South Wales, there was a nurses strike, which I absolutely support. But that cut to public education is going to be, be felt very really and very deeply. Uh, yeah, I mean, already they're struggling. Um, I, I know oh. how hard it is for them to be running programs in, in, in public schools. I run a, a number of drama programs in public schools, and I, yeah. I see that it's already difficult, even with free programs, to find even the teachers to run programs that are being delivered for free. So I can't imagine how much worse it's going to get. 
Yeah, it's absolutely true. I um, I teach in public schools as well. I run drama and language programs. And so I am in schools, public schools really regularly. I am at Western Sydney University. So some of the schools that I go to are schools with high populations of vulnerable and marginalised young people and children, uh, families who need some of the most support. And what um, what is really disappointing is that government schools take a majority of students who need support and yet they're starved of funds over and over and over again. The disparity between the funding of public education and private education is just massive. On one hand, we have some private schools who are able to afford state-of-the-art art centres and are able to um, afford um, really incredible technology and sports facilities and build state-of-the-art buildings. And on the other hand, we have um, public schools which are looking at their budget to buy simple things like um, enough computers for their school, enough chairs for the classroom and things like that, um, even photocopy budgets for those teachers who work in public schools. We know that even printing can be quite tight. So we're not talking about an even playing field at all in education, yet those cuts to public education just keep coming and coming. And this was just another blow. Um, the AEU, that's the Australian Education Union, has been really vocal about how much this is going to hurt. And They've been inviting everybody not to forget about public education when time for the election rolls around. And I'm certainly, um, that's certainly something that I'm campaigning on as well. Why is it that that's, that this private sector is getting an injection and the pro- public sector is getting this reduction? That doesn't, doesn't seem like a, a promise or a bribe that people are going to want to swallow or am I missing something? It's quite, um, I don't want to say that it's complicated. There is a little bit of complexity there. So the federal government has a cap, a 20% um, cap, which they can't exceed. So so 20% of funding for public schools comes from the federal government and that is capped. And so one of the problems is that funding for private schools is not capped, which means it's able to increase and increase and increase. So there is a campaign to look at um, if that cap is appropriate, that 20%. But that's all a little bit of technical policy speak. The actual reality is that we have a Liberal national government and they want to siphon off money to their friends. And they've always been massive supporters of private schools. The end game for the LNP is that public education should be for only for a very few amount of people who can't afford to get themselves into a fee-paying school. They would like the private sector uh, to be really, really robust and really well-funded and a very, very viable option for people so that public schools aren't really, um, you know, aren't really the main choice of, of everyone. I disagree with this uh, in every fibre of my being. I believe that public education represents the best of our values. It is high quality education. Some of the best education in the world happens in our public schools. And that's available to everyone, regardless of their gender, their sexuality, their class, their race, or their ability to pay their race or religion. There is no higher value than that in our society. And I think you've got to back it. 
you really, really got to fund it and back it. So it's actually an ideological issue that we're talking about. And that's one of the reasons I believe that we need to fight so hard is because public education is one of those things that guarantees our society equity. And when you chip away at it, you chip away the equality that's available to our kids. And I just think it's just morally wrong. Strongly worded and strongly agree with you. Thank you very yeah. much for clarifying that. Um, yeah, Nick, I'll, I'll throw my bias on the table. You know, I was public, um, I was educated in public schools. Uh, my family's a public education family. I, my first schools that I taught at uh, were public schools. I have a PhD in education. I'm running for parliament. I'm running against, you know, someone who wants to be the next prime minister of Australia and public education made me what I am. It's a damn fine system that we have here. I just think that we have to invest in it. You know, it's um, it's something that is so core to our values, uh, yet we're chipping away at the edges and I just, I find it morally reprehensible. Yeah. And, and I feel there might be something more, more in this, uh, not that I, I you, you just said, well, you've said incredible things, but when the Minister for Education spoke to the private sector, this private education sector and said that, there, I'm going to misquote terribly, so please forgive okay. me. But the um, I wouldn't prepare for this question. Uh, that the the bad teachers or the poor teachers or the, the bottom ten percent aren't in private schools, and there's something we have to do about that. There does appear to be a kind of bias. Am I half remembering a, a recent news story? You uh, look. I don't know the quote myself, but you are absolutely right. He did say something to that effect, and it was deeply in support of independent private schools. Um, the first thing is that it's actually wrong. It is not correct. Uh, so uh, hiring and firing um, in schools doesn't, the way it works doesn't necessarily mean that one sector gets the best teachers or anything like that. In fact, you know, teachers will tell you themselves, there's multiple measures that you can use to find what is the best teaching and things like that. So it's just such a flawed thing to say in in the first place. But what it did do, it was it dragged public schools. It dragged them. It demeaned the our amazing public school teachers. It was just insulting. And we've just got to rally against it. You know, we've got to rally around our public education system, our amazing teachers who are in that system. And we're just going to say, right, we don't have that. We don't tolerate that kind of um, that kind of dragging here, and we're going to get behind our system. We want it fully funded. We want it um, to be the system of choice. Uh, we want everybody to have access to that high quality education. We want it to be equal for our kids. I, this is what is just um, is just dumbfounding for me: is that children who have no choice over what family they're born into. That, every, that this government finds it acceptable to elevate some children over the others, which is exactly what they're doing by giving a massive injection into private school education. So this is the stuff that we need to guard against. You know, this is where um, we need to get behind our friends at the AU, the um, education unions, and really get behind them because, um, because what we're doing is we're trying to safeguard equity. We're trying to make a more fairer society. And you don't do that by bumping up education systems that are only available to certain kind of classes. Absolutely. And as to, to clarify, according to the Sydney Morning Herald and um, Lisa Vicentin, uh, it was the acting federal minister, Stuart Robert, blaming dud teachers. 
Uh, that was the quote dud teachers, just so oh. making sure we get my facts straight. I don't want to be accused of uh, saying the wrong thing, but that's, that's the claim. Uh, well, as disheartening as that is, let's move on to something as disheartening, if not more gut-wrenching, which is perhaps these cuts to arts. Can you talk to us about that, especially after the two years we've had? What are, what are they oh doing? My oh, my God. From one gut-wrenching um, scenario to another, remind me, Nick, to let's finish on a hopeful note, as other artists do. So, yes, there have been some deep cuts to the arts. Now, if you listen to the budget speech, which <laughs> I'm not expecting um, anyone to do or anything like that if um, you don't need to go and do that I say that you should have a look at what's really happening because the things they're going to talk about is they're going to say there's 20 million extra dollars of COVID relief in the arts but what they're not going to talk about is that 190 million was cut from the arts budget so that is um, that is real money that won't be available to arts programs so some of the places where that has hit is that um, funding for a lot of galleries has been cut street screen australia had their budget cut from 28 to 12 million dollars that's less than half so um you know just think about what that means now screen australia argue that this they're actually going to be okay and some of that funding was committed to some projects that were going to finish, but they won't be funding any new projects there. And this goes to the heart of what kind of stories that we're telling on our screens uh, and what kind of quality is going to be available to us. So um, the National Library had their um, had their had their budget cut as well. So if you look at all of these things, you add them all up, it gets to 190 million. And what that means is an already decimated sector gets another kick in the pants. We haven't yet recovered from COVID and they announced that the RISE funding, so RISE was the um, pool of funding that was designed to kind of save the arts from the, COVID, from the COVID crisis. So that is going to expire. And we're not recovered yet. Uh, COVID's not over, by the way. Um, I think we all understand that. And we haven't actually reached the recovery phase. So it was really disappointing that even though there'll be, you know, this extra $20 million in that pool, um, that that funding will expire. So we're actually in a really, um, we're in a really dire situation. Um, live music funding got cut. So live music funding is absolutely critical. Getting not just musicians, but everyone that goes with them Okay, funding the roadies, funding the lighting, funding the venues and things like that. This is the stuff that needs a lifeline. This is the stuff that we need to return to post-COVID. These are the industries that are flagging and dying. And this government just wants to let them die. Um, and we've just got to, this is where we've got to clap back and say, no, we absolutely won't have it. So that's a bit about what's going on in the arts. I'm sorry that it's not... Um, I'm sorry that it's not very hopeful, but I just want to add to that. It's not just about the funding as well, that there was nothing to support payment of artists either, nothing to support their rent um, assistance, nothing to support them having had, you know, cut their industries cut over the last two years. So we're actually, you know, not just um, taking funding away out of one sector, we're refusing to acknowledge that artists have had a really, really tough time and that the test sector is actually actually decimated. We need to see, you know, obviously a wind back of these cuts, but we need to see more support for artists themselves. 
yeah, because it's not just about the cuts, as you just said. We, oh there was a miss out for years, not getting supported or recognised during those COVID cuts, or not, even during sorry, even during that COVID support not being recognised, and then for this for this cut to occur. Um, and what does this mean for us? I mean, speaking plainly, I, I don't know. What does it mean for the arts? What does it mean for education? Like it, we've taken the teachers have taken you know take been taken to task for the last two years the arts have been taken to task for the last two years i'm, I'm shocked that they were the, the losers and i know it's not fair to talk about winners and losers in, in budgets but why are they the losers i don't get it there are winners and losers in budgets that's the that's a hard reality and public education and the arts have been big losers and um that just sucks because what we're talking about, and I could take you through some of the places and where um, projects won't be funded, where we won't have um, as many venues funded, where what kind of programs we'll be missing out on in our public schools. But the main thing I think is about what this means is that there's less for everyone, that sectors that are already hurting are going to be left to bleed out. And that is such a danger for our cultural heritage. It means that artists are going to go elsewhere. We're going to experience um, a, an exit to other countries and other sectors and things like that. We're going to experience a creative brain drain. What it means for our schools is that we already know that teachers are leaving in droves because the last two years have been absolute hell. And... Um, having the sector even more decimated, having no support uh, means that a place that's already been financially decimated is going to be psychologically put under a lot of strain as well. So what we're going to see is um, we're going to see a form of depression in both the arts and in public education. And that is really, really frightening. It's really, really frightening stuff. It's the kind of stuff that um, a lot of organisation like Fund the Arts have decided to hit back at. Of course, our public education unions are fighting, fighting, fighting as hard as they can. Because what this means for us, we can talk about programs and things like that, but what this means for us in terms of a psychological depression for these sectors is really, really scary. So, you know, how can we clap back, as you said before? What, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're artists. So the first, thing, the first thing is we have to raise our voice and we have to raise our voice in the best way that we know how. I believe that artists are some of the best resistors and the most resilient people in the world. And we use the, the tools that we have available to us, which is all of our creativity and all of our artistry to fight back. We tell the stories of what it's done for us. So a lot of people after the pandemic will um, think, oh, that, oh, you know, healthcare has to be the absolute priority and, and it does. But what kept us alive during the pandemic was that people turned towards the arts, they turned towards Netflix, they turned towards the books, they turned towards poetry, they turned towards free online visits to galleries, they created their own art at home, they engaged in programs that were made available online and very generously by a lot of arts institutions. And so we have to say all of that stuff that need, that kept you alive during that time, it needs to be supported. So we have to tell our stories as well. And we have to tell our stories of what it means, what it means to our industry, but also what it means for our cultural heritage and what it means for our soul as a nation. We don't want to live in the place that's, you know, nothing um, 
you know, we don't want to live in a place that, that's got no cultural soul. We don't want to live in a place that's got no cultural heritage. We don't want to live in a place that's, where artists are scrapping over each other. Um, what we want to live in is a vibrant society, a vibrant um, society full of critical and creative thinking. And that's what the arts brings us, um, as you well know, Nick. As for education, the fight couldn't be more urgent. And that fight has to be taken right up until the election. And this is why, um, Nick, I think, you know, I'm standing as a federal candidate in the election because I believe that we need to send artists to parliament. I am the Greens candidate for Grainler. And I want people to remember this on election day, that fighting back doesn't happen. It won't happen on its own. The government, particularly the current government, isn't going to suddenly sit up in bed and go, you know what, we should really fund the arts. That does not happen you have to fight you have to push and you have to use the only language they understand and that is your vote and you have to tell them that this affects your vote ring your local member and say I am an artist I'm an arts teacher I'm an arts consumer or I am really really worried about public schools and this is going to affect my vote demand a meeting with them and say this is what I'm interested in and I want and say I want to know which way you're going to vote um, you really really have to pin their backs to the walls otherwise we're going to get no change and the parties like mine that are going to invest in the arts they are the ones that deserve your vote I can't um, you know there's been a time in my life where you used to kind of pussy foot around this and say oh you know you need to make the best decision for you and things like that but we're now at such a crisis point that if we don't speak the language that politicians understand we're going to be back here next year Nick we're going to be back here in three years we're going to be back here with less artists we're going to be back here with public schools that have been further decimated so we, we put our foot down we say it stops here and now um, we say we won't have it and that's the way we wind this back done thank you oh wow well that is a a number of very clear strategies thank you um I'm, I'm i'm wondering if you might obviously there's only so much pie there's only so much we can go around you touched on this with with healthcare. why what what is going on then there's only so much pie yes but what is the thinking behind these these cuts there is only so much pie but nick i'm going to tell it say something that's pretty unpopular but I actually think it needs to be called out. We are one of the wealthiest countries in the world at one of the most wealthiest time in history. I'm not saying that there's endless money and there's rivers of gold and things like that, but we just need to face the reality that this is a pretty well-off country. We have enough money to do all of this, to fund the arts properly, to make the arts a priority, to fully fund public education. What is missing is the political will. The government spends money on so many things that um, are going to have no effect or a negative effect on creating equity in our world. And the other thing that we need to look at is that there are untapped revenue streams. So um, there's a number of billionaires who are just not taxed. There are so many companies, and I've mentioned Netflix already, um, so many companies like Netflix, like Amazon, like Apple, that pay no tax. So that's just ludicrous. I mean, we've got the arts here that are bleeding, bleeding out, and we've got companies that are just being propped up by government and allowed to, allowed to get away with paying no tax. 
We've got mining companies that are destroying our natural environment and exacerbating, creating climate change. And they're given a tax break and they're given handouts. So if we end that stuff and channel it to things like the arts and education that are going to build our nation, that are going to allow us to be successful, thriving people well into the future, we're just going to, that is the way that we survive and thrive rather than pour money into industries and give handouts to industries that are that are literally, you know, going to be our demise. So the money is there. What is lacking is the political will. And that is where the people power comes into play. Because the only thing that has changed this, the only thing that has created movements is good, well-meaning people getting up and saying enough is enough and you have to listen to me. Well, then where to from here? What do we think? We've, we've, we've heard the, the, the cuts and the stabs and we've felt viscerally, thanks to your you know, beautiful way of speaking, what's going to happen? What, where to from here? What, what's, a positive, what's a small positive we can take out of this, this negative budget? The small positive is that we're here. Um, that me and you are here, Nick, and we stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder with the most creative minds in the country. We stand side by side with the most resilient people, some of the most resilient people I know. We stand with communities of colour. We stand with First Nations people who are survivors. We stand with um, community, disabled communities. We stand with the working class and we're not going quietly. So that's what we have in our back pocket is that these are the movements that have always created change. Mass scales of change aren't created by powerful people sitting in parliament and making um, good decisions of their own volition. On the whole, it just doesn't work like that. Where it works is at the grassroots, by talking to our friends, uh, by um, mobilising, by getting out together on the streets. I am an activist. And if that's not your thing, that's absolutely fine. You can write letters, you can make that appointment with your um, you can make that appointment with your local member. You can make art. I want to encourage everyone, make art. Make art, be it a small poem, be it um, a TikTok, be it a, a large scale activist piece, whatever it is, but make art that shows the kind of country and the kind of society that you want to live in. And as I said, election day is just weeks away. Do not forget this at the time of your vote. Vote for the society that you want. Vote, um, don't just vote with the crowd. You need to go out and actually demand what you want through your vote. And that is how we're going to get change. It is only through us and ourselves. It can only be done by the people on the ground at the grassroots, and it can only be done together. So let's stick together, everyone, because I believe that, you know, better days are coming if we make it so. Thank you so very much, Dr. Rachel Jacobs. Thanks, Nick. It's been fantastic to talk to you. I, you know, love your podcast. I'm so informed and um, always so inspired by com your community of drama teachers and students. Um, so it's been a real pleasure to talk about the stuff that I'm passionate about, which is... How can we keep the arts alive? Oh, passionate and knowledgeable. Thank you so much. It's been wonderfully inspiring. 
Well, that is all from us at The Aside. Huge thanks to Dr. Rachel Jacobs for coming and speaking to us on this specific topic. Not often do we find someone with the exact kind of knowledge we want on this kind of topic. Thank you so very much. And if you'd like to support Fund the Arts, you can find a link in the episode description. You can also find out more about Dr. Rachel Jacobs. There is a link to her website in the episode description as well. If you would like to keep listening to The Aside, feel free to go through our bank of episodes. There's over 350 episodes now on a variety of topics, so feel free to go through that and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to ask us a question or you have a suggestion for a future episode, do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Thank you very much to Halebury for letting us record here. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. And of course, thank you for listening.